We're going to be going, uh, the message today is on the Father heart of God, and I recognize that a 35-minute message is not going to answer all your fatherhood problems of your life, right? So I would just like to encourage you, I have a book, you'll see it up on the screen. This is called The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung, and uh, Floyd is a significant person. If you've never heard of him or don't know about him, any of you remember the 72 Munich Olympic Games and that he was part of that? Uh, he also was a mentor to James in South Africa, believe it or not. So this has uh, been one of the most helpful discipling tools I've used in the church here with guys walking through the father wounds. And uh, I would just encourage if today's message pricks some of that, there's a good resource for you. You can go to that. All right, here we go. Today's reading uh, from John 15, 8 through 11. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What we see right from the get-go is that uh, Jesus is mingling, right? I and the Father. And you get that picture. We're going to walk through that today a little bit. Uh, so in our series, we've been working through uh, the titles that Isaiah gave for the coming Messiah. We've worked through Wonderful Counselor. And then last week, we looked at the Mighty God. And this week, we're going to look at the Everlasting Father. Uh, so we're going to look at the Father heart of God. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Let's seek you. Father, it, you are the Father, our Father who art in heaven. As we come before you this morning, so many of us have a story of a journey that you brought us on uh, to bring us into relationship with you and to be loved by you. We are, the longer we go, the more awed we are by it. It's, it's unbelievable that you went out of your way to find us, Lord, and we pray for our community and the entire Mill Creek Northwest region, Lord, that you would do that for many, many more people. Lord, we seek you this morning as we walk through this topic. It, we can only imagine what it looks like for you. But Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll take a stab at it. This is where you have to enter in. You, you have to um, fill in the blanks, so to speak, by your spirit. And so we seek you to do that while we uh, think together. And I ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, the title, Everlasting Father. Uh, what a title. Easily breaks down into two parts, right? Everlasting and Father. Let's look at the Father, father part first. The title Father, you know, if you think about it, is so familiar to us and so natural for us that we hardly give it any thought. Oh, yeah, our Father, who art in heaven, right? We have earthly fathers, um, but it's absolutely amazing that God appropriates this title for himself. You know, I said, our Father who art in heaven are some of the most famous words on the planet. Everybody knows that phrase. Even non-believers know that phrase, right? You would expect commander, ruler, most high God, sovereign, omnipotent, terms like that. And by the way, he does use all of those, <laughs> right? That's part of it. Uh, but the title Father is unexpected. And it reveals his heart. It reveals the true nature 
behind God's personality and character. God is known by a million different uh, titles on this planet, but only in Christianity is he known and embraced as Father. Just look at the titles, right? We already listed this one, Our Father, right? Think about that. Think about that prayer. Think about the impact of that and what that's had just on your life. Our Father who art in heaven. How about the title Heavenly Father, right? We start with that many times in prayer, Heavenly Father, right? Our Father in heaven. Here's one that we have a harder time with, Abba, Daddy, it just doesn't seem right to say Abba, Daddy. It's, it's too intimate, it's too close. Uh, th- this is a picture from my era. Youngers, you won't know this one. But uh, there's a picture of John F. Kennedy as president. And he's on the phone. And J.J., his son, at the time I think was about two, is underneath the desk playing at his dad's feet. See, to the rest of us, John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States. To J.J., who was he? Father, right? And that's the picture God's trying to communicate to us when he says, Abba, Daddy. It's a good one. How about Blessed Father, right? We know a lot of cursing is about fathers in life. How about Blessed Father? How about this one? This one gets to the heart of something, the father of widows and orphans. If you're alone, you're not alone. Because God specializes in this category. How about the next title? Father of the fatherless. Right? Same thing. God the Father. God our Father. In other words, what I'm trying to capture here is that God is seriously trying to communicate something to us. Look at how many times the term is used. We'll just pick the Gospels. But if you go to the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew uses the term Father 69 times. Just in that short 28 chapter, 69 times. Gospel of Mark uses it 17 times. The Gospel of Luke uses it 38 times. The Gospel of John uses it 102 times. And that's why many, many people, when they're sharing Christ with somebody or they're trying to say, hey, Take a look at Jesus. Just, just read about him. See what you think. Is this a guy you could trust? Uh, they're, they're steered to God's, John's gospel. Why? Because there's something that John captures in his gospel about the father heart of God that is just moving. And uh, not all of these are direct correlations to the heavenly father. Some are used in stories or illustrations or parables. But I think it shows us how central the term is in the gospel writers trying to depict the nature and the heart of God. They were describing something. They were trying to describe what I've called this morning the father heart of God. And that instantly drops us into the next level, all right? It's one thing to say God has a heart. The question on everyone's mind is what kind of heart is it? In other words, what kind of father is he? There was a time when the title of father was held in high regard and in honor, both in our culture and in faith, right? Many of us can remember that day. Um, if, believe it or not, uh, there was a TV show in the early years of television called what? Father Knows Best. Aha! You just gave yourself away, okay? Father Knows Best, and um, 
Robert Young played, played the dad, and he was an honorable dad and a wise dad, and the show was designed around dad was the best person to come and try and sort out the problem or the issue because dads knew best. Uh, Ward Cleaver on the TV show Leave It to Beaver, Fred McMurray on My Three Sons, and Lauren Green on Bonanza uh, were all shows that cast father in a positive light. But that is not on the screen today. Fathers are portrayed as inept at best, bumbling fools that have to go to the children to seek advice. Or fathers are portrayed as negligent or absent. Or even more significant, fathers aren't even uh, portrayed on the screen at all or even seen as necessary. What difference does a dad make anyways? And lately, God has been seen as not necessary nor good either. The father heart of God has been under severe attack in our culture, and a lot of people have railed against uh, the uh, domination of the father in the culture and how unneeded that is. Uh, Titles tell us where people are coming from. Richard Dawkins' book is called The God Delusion. Okay. Um, Christopher Hitchens' book is called God Is Not Great with the subtitle, Why Religion Poisons Everything. And to add to that debacle, fathers have sinned and deeply stained the picture. Uh, Floyd McClung, in in the book, Father Heart of God, tells the story of his friend, uh, John Smith, who is from Melbourne, Australia, and he was trying to share the gospel after having just freshly graduated from seminary, right? You know, you're right, you're you're ready to go and you're gun-ho kind of thing. And and upon encountering a hardened uh, street teenager, the teenager agreed to give him one shot by saying, okay, mate, what's God like? And fresh from his theological studies, John blurred out, well, he's like a father. Right? That's a great answer. And the young man's eyes blazed with hatred and said, if he's anything like my old man, you can have him. Right? Deep wound there. Later, John learned from a social worker that the father had raped his sister repeatedly and beaten his mother regularly. There was a reason he didn't like that term. This story instantly alerts us to the fact that sin has damaged and distorted our picture of the Father heart of God. The picture frame has been cracked and broken, and we can no longer truly see it for what it is. But the impact of all of this is disastrous. Uh, John Burkholder is, he's here this morning, by the way. Hi, John, my beloved buddy back there. He works in the prisons up in Monroe, and uh, He is an expert on the impact of the lack of good fathering and what it has on the population within the prison. Uh, He told me about this book, I'm quoting from The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It by Warren Farrell and John Gray. And they give this statistic, 80% of all men and women in prison are incarcerated due to alcohol or drug-related crimes. Which tells you what? There is a ton of self-medicating going on. There is a ton of abuse going on to try and numb what life has dished their way. Why are they that way? Well, also 80% of all men and women in prison grew up in a home without a biological father or an abusive father or no father at all. The lack of fathering is absolutely epidemic in our culture. Dads just walk away, okay? And it has left an incredible mark. Matter of fact, I was talking to John right before the service, and he said, uh, in prison, 
Uh, there are 17 men in prison to every woman that's in prison. Do you think the lack of a dad makes a difference? Dad, boys need their dad. Good father, the need for good fathers has never been more critical. But there's another problem that feeds into this, and it's not just other sins that crack and fogs the lens of God as our father. There's, a, there's another issue. Our own sin does a pretty good job of it as well, right? Uh, sin makes us wall and project our guilt towards God. Our, our sin, guilt, makes us scream at, against the heart of God. We saw last week in the message, Mighty God, that God is the judge. He judges his children. Even Moses and Aaron were subject to this. In Psalm 99, it's talking about Moses and Aaron, and it says this, O Lord, our God, you answered them. That's Moses and Aaron. You answered them, and you were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. We love that first part. We don't like the second part, right? Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Notice how forgiveness and judgment go together. God was a father to Moses and Aaron, but he was also judge as well. And we will be subject to judgment as well. In 2 Corinthians, it says this. So we are always of good courage. And this is the whole passage, 2 Corinthians, uh, that's used uh, many times at funerals. And it talks about reconciliation with the Lord. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight, as we are doing this morning. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether it is good or evil. Feel a little tremor? Oops. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Yikes. We fear judgment. We fear this kind of judgment. It's our own foolishness and selfishness that's wrecked our life, and we react strongly. What's going on here? Proverbs 19 tells us this. Verse verse 3. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, in other words, when a man's sin... A person's sin, that's not just guys, gals, okay, we. When our sin wrecks our life, it says his heart rages against the Lord. What happens here? We are ticked at God because we know that we're going to get judged. What's this saying? Well, you have guilty people in a guilty culture in that they both, the individual and the culture, have two choices. Number one, you can agree with the Father and repent. Or two, you can seek to disqualify the authority figure, the Father. If I can just find injustice with God, then he has no right to judge my injustice. What's pushing this? Okay, If you drop a level below that, something very, very basic, something every parent understands, something every child understands, what's the issue? It's the fear of discipline. Ha <laughs> ha. Remember that when you were a kid? By the way, I grew up in a disparate era where that meant a whole different thing than Johnny go in the corner. Okay. The Bible tells us that we need to accept 
God the Father's discipline. Uh, Hebrews 12 says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Remember, in this context, it's talking about how you've been adopted in Christ. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Going on, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What this is basically saying here is if you can sin by like a banshee and there's no consequences, you should be very afraid because it tells you that you're outside the will of the Father. If you sin and you get caught and you get rebuked, that's a good sign. may not be a fun sign, but it's a wonderful sign. Why? Because it tells you God is paying attention to you. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline uh, us and we respect them. You know the funny thing about discipline? Just This is a footnote. I'll give this for free. It looks so much better 40 years later, right? Man, I'll tell you what, that stuff was not fun going through it when I was a kid, okay? Um, you know, and, and it was a completely different era. But as I look back, it was darn good for me. It was darn good for me. And I'm reading this and going, oh man, God had me pegged even before I was paying attention, all right? But, but besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Notice the purpose of discipline is holiness, not happiness. Okay? There's a big difference there. God is orchestrating things in our life that we would become holy, not happy. It's an amazing thing. If you become holy, you are happy. If you aim at happiness, you usually don't get happiness or holiness. Right? Fundamental miss there. Also notice that discipline is for our good. That's a hard one to put in place sometimes. And that discipline is painful. In other words, Scripture's straight up about that. Most of us do not like the disciplines that we have had to go through. But that we are to submit to it and be trained by it. Many of us understand that. We have learned. Right? Back through again. Again! Back through again! You know, how many times do I got to circle Mount Sinai, man? Until I learn my lesson. Old gospel song. What's, what's going on here? Well, it produces, discipline produces righteousness instead of selfishness. That's a big key. And the fruit of it is peace. We're going to talk about that on Friday, Prince of Peace. And uh, it should be great. Hope you guys come. But if we submit to it, we're trained by it. If we say, humanly, if God were a good father, he wouldn't discipline me. God says, I am a good father, that's why I discipline you. God says, 
Over and over and over and over, the scriptures tell us that God is good, right? So many places. Let's just cherry pick a few of them right here. In Matthew, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? That's snake. That makes, oh, you say, boom. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Look at James. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I like NIV, no shifting shadow. It doesn't move around. It's solid. God is light. Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen? Amen. Exodus, and the Lord passed before him, this would be Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. In other words, there's a place to go with all the junk in my life. Jesus goes even farther and takes this picture, and then he combines it, he melds it together to show us the heart of the Heavenly Father and his heart are one. Look at John 10. My sheep hear my voice. We heard it in the passage that Shannon read, and it's here again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Notice Jesus correlates his hand with the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here Jesus is telling us something that's hard to grasp because of our limitations, but it's exactly what Isaiah had in mind when he used this title for Messiah. Jesus is saying, if you see my hand, you've seen the Father's hand. If you've seen my heart, you've seen the Father's heart. If you hear my words, then you hear the Father's words, because I speak exactly what he asked me to say. I and the Father are one. Thus Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, can give the title to this Messiah baby that is exclusively used for the Heavenly Father. What's the title? Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The good father, the great father, the father we all want and long for. And God longs to be a father to us. And the title adds something else that we long for. We've looked at the title father, but what's the other half of that? Everlasting father. The dad who will always be there. The dad who will not leave. The dad who you can always call. The dad who you can always cry out to. The dad who you can cry on his shoulder will always be there. This word everlasting creates a great hope when you put these two words together. Everlasting Father. What need does this speak to? Well, most of us know what it's like to have lost fathers. Some of us, our fathers have died. That would be true for Pam and I. They're both gone now. Uh, Some of us, our fathers left. And, and we wrestle with that. We wrestle with abandonment issues, right? 
Some of our fathers were emotionally absent, so it's like we never really had a father. And, and we long for one. I just wish I had a dad I could talk to. Right? Some of our fathers were abusive, and so we avoided them. And great pain is associated with that word, father, like we saw in that earlier illustration. But scripture is speaking to the great need we have in our hearts. The need for a father, the need for a dad. Dads are incredibly important, okay? Yes, moms are important, but dads are incredibly important. The need for a father, the need for a good father. And not only is he good, but he's everlasting. We'll never lose him. What scripture is trying to tell us is that all the goodness that is wrapped up in the father heart of God is wrapped up in Jesus as well. And so Jesus' promises are the father's promises, and the father's promises are Jesus' promises, and those promises are everlasting. Look at Matthew 28. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is every bit as much with us here today, this moment, right now present, as we gather here on Sunday, as he was when he walked the shores of Galilee. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He's never going to. Hebrews tells us this. says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That word forsake means you're crummy and dirty and icky and you sin and I don't want to be around you anymore. Every parent understands this. I love you. I just don't really like you right now. God says he will never forsake us even in our ickiness. That doesn't mean you don't have to repent. Jesus promises to be with us always. He also promises to come back and get us. And this is the great hope as we come to Christmas. And we talk about his first coming. This reminds us we've been at this for 2,000 years. It's time to look up for a second coming. In, in John, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. My wife prefers the word mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus saying, does it make any sense that I've said I'm going to prepare a place if I'm not going to come back and get you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In other words, he longs to be with us. And when he does come back for us, we will be with him for all eternity. That moment never ceases. Okay? You can lose a lot of stuff in life. You can't lose this moment. When he comes back for us, we will be with him for eternity. The everlasting, the Father, the Father who will never leave us or forsake us. Look at 1 Thessalonians. It says this, as you think about Christmas, think about the second return. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. I love that. That is a general calling his army to marching orders. Now, men, move. Right? That is going to be awesome. With the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise up first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and here's the key verses. Look at this. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This moment that you see on the screen is eternal. It is everlasting. The person who's coming to get it, get us, is eternal. 
and everlasting. This is some of the most hope-filled and encouraging words in the Bibles. And so we will always be with the Lord. And what does Paul close with? Encourage one another with these words. So I'd like to say, encourage each other. You have a dad. He's a good dad. He's an everlasting dad. He'll never leave her for sin. Yes, he's going to discipline you. And yes, if you're sinning, duck and look out because it's coming your way. He is the avenger in all these things and he will not let it go. Okay? And if you're getting away with sin, you better start praying, Lord, please discipline me. That sounds like a strange prayer, right? But discipline is a sign of love. Dear God, don't let me get away with sin. Stop me. Stop me from my own selfishness and my own stupidity. And so we come back to Christmas. The everlasting father couldn't stay away. He had to come for his children. Emmanuel, God with us. For God so loved the world, what? That he came. The everlasting father came. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Lord, as the worship team comes up and as we get ready to sing to you, um, these are really wonderful truths that sometimes we don't like. Lord, we admit that we kick and balk against your discipline. We argue with you just like kids argue with their parents over what's right and who gets to do what. We tell you how it should be run instead of asking you how you'd like it to go. Uh, all of those earthly elements are involved in this, and yet you still call us your children. Lord, we are enormously blessed to know you as the everlasting Father. That title uh, promised your faithfulness in Isaiah 700 years before you even came, in, uh, Lord, as, as the birth as the Christ child, and the incarnation. Father, we seek you this morning that... Um, we would have a, a sense of your closeness on this level of the Father heart of God. May you be close to us as Father. Many of us long for a good dad. You promise to be that. May we find ourselves drawing in, not away. And we give that to you with hope in your name. Amen.